everybody. Good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really glad that you're here. If you're worshiping over at East Hall, welcome. If you're tuning in, uh, welcome. Oh, we start a new series this weekend, but before we get into it, I want to introduce a special guest that we have with us uh, this morning. Uh, it's Ernest Masaba. Ernest, would you please stand? Ernest is uh, from Uganda. He is, yeah. You, Ernest, you can go ahead and have a seat. Ernest is uh, part of AOET, which is one of our ministry partners. He is the country director in Uganda for AOET. Those of you who have been coming for a while, you might know the story of Sam Tushabi. Uh, Sam is the one who started uh, AOET. I met Sam probably a dozen years ago in Uganda. Uganda is a country that has been ravaged by the AIDS epidemic. I mean, Sam's, both his parents died of AIDS. And then uh, Sam began to take care of orphans. And uh, first it started with a few dozen, then a few hundred, and then a few thousand orphans. And about 10 years ago, I got a call from a friend who said that, uh, told me that Sam was gonna be in Ohio. He was traveling by car from the West Coast to the East Coast. And he was stopping at uh, any church that would have him and any civic organization he could talk to about raising money for his school and his orphanage. Uh, he was sleeping in his car to try to save money uh, in order to do all that. Uh, when he got here, we, didn't really, we weren't really prepared uh, to do anything for Sam, so I introduced him to you guys, just like I just introduced Ernest. And then uh, I happened to have a bucket uh, as part of a prop uh, for that sermon. And in between the second and third service, somebody came up to me and they said, listen, there are some of us who want to give money to uh, the orphans and to Sam, and uh, you have a bucket there. Why don't you just make that Sam's bucket and tell people that if they want to give some money, they can go ahead and just come forward and put it in Sam's bucket after the service. And I thought that was a good idea. So at the end of the third service, I said that. This is Sam's bucket if you want to give to AOET to support these orphans and uh, the school, then please, you can come forward. And uh, after we closed the service, there was a line out the door and people just poured money into the bucket. And the bucket was full, and at the end of the service, when we counted the money, there was $10,000 that we were able to give Sam. Uh, it was a great, great thing. It actually was the beginning. Thanks. Thanks for that tepid applause. All right. <laughs> Nobody knows when to clap, but that's okay. Um, that was actually the beginning of our dream to start doing Micah 6-8 weekends, where we could give the whole offering away like we did last weekend. Uh, but since Ernest is here, and he's doing the same thing, he's traveling across the country, uh, I wanted to try to do something that would kind of be Sam's bucket for 2019, and it involves your phone. Uh, if you have a smartphone, we have arranged it so that if you uh, type in to the number 797979, you type in the capital letters A-O-E-T, a screen will pop up. And the screen will have a button that you can push that will give $20 to AOET to support them. And this is what I am hoping for this weekend. I'm, what I want is for 500 people to give through their phones $20, and that will give Ernest $10,000 on his way, uh, just like we did for Sam about a decade ago. So if you have your phones and you want to do that, you can take them out and you can uh, go ahead and type in 797979 for the number and capital AOET. And it should pop up 
And what will happen is later on, you will have to put in your credit card information if you're not already in our system, and then you can give. But I want you to do it now and then do the credit card later on because I want this to be kind of an impulse buy, all right? Uh, and while you do that, we're going to watch just a short video that'll show you what's going on in Uganda, what I have seen, uh, and hopefully now what you will uh, get to participate in. Here's the video. AOET stands for AIDS Orphan Education Trust. The organization seeks to support orphans and the families who care for them by addressing child welfare and sponsorship, managing three schools, and offering training and empowerment programs. AOET designed a community where families can live for free by fostering multiple orphans, all while saving money so they can move to a permanent home with their expanded family in a few years. Over the years, AOET has been experiencing rapid growth. More than 1,000 students are attending their schools. With this growth, AOET is expanding its post-secondary school opportunities, entrepreneur programs, community activities, and medical support. Great things are happening through AOET, and even greater things are on the horizon. All right, if you want to participate in that, that'd be great. One of the values uh, that I want for our church and I want for myself personally is uh, a generosity, a consistent generosity. Uh, there, is, there are no bad side effects to generosity. So I am so grateful for you all and how you respond and consistently respond to opportunities like this. All right, so thanks. All right, uh, we start a new series uh, this weekend. It's going to take us uh, almost all the way through the summer. We are calling this series The Dirty Dozen. The Dirty Dozen. And the idea is this. You know, our theme for this year is to make Jesus famous uh, everywhere to everyone. And we have asked you to be making Jesus famous in your home, at your workplace, at your school, in your neighborhood. But if you have ever felt unqualified, if you have ever felt like you are an unlikely candidate for God to use to make Jesus famous, then you are in good company. You are in the company of the dirty dozen. Uh, we're going to look at 12 people in the New Testament over the next 12 weeks who are unlikely candidates, but God used them to make Jesus famous. And today we get to start with the story of Levi, who you might also know as Matthew. He went by both names. But I'm uh, going to read his story from the gospel that bears his name. This is uh, Matthew chapter 9. I'll read verses 9 through 13. This is what it says. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. I want to bring uh, three points out of that. That's no surprise. Uh, I love three points. 
But these three points, if you are truly a Christian, these three things are true of you. And if these three things are true of you, then you have everything that you need to make Jesus famous. I want to talk about the call. I want to talk about the touch. And I want to talk about the change. The call, the touch, and the change. First, uh, the call. This is Matthew chapter 9. It takes all the way until chapter 9 for Matthew to tell his part of the story, which kind of surprises me. If you were writing you know, a story about Jesus, how long would it be before you introduced uh, how you came to know Jesus? I, I, for me, I think I would I don't know, introduce myself, chapter 1, verse 1, because I would say, uh, my name's Matthew, and I first came to know Jesus when he walked by my tax booth, and he called out to me, follow me, and I got up and followed him. But Matthew waits all the way until chapter 9, and he puts his story right in the middle of a bunch of other stories of Jesus impacting people. In chapter 8, Matthew tells the story of how Jesus impacted a leper, and then a a Roman centurion, and then Peter's mother-in-law, and then a couple of demon-possessed men, and then a paralytic, and then he puts his story right after that. And he only takes five verses to tell his story, this story of how Jesus changed the direction of his life and set him on a trajectory to be one of four people who would write what we call the Gospels, which are arguably the most popular part of the most popular book in the history of the world. Why would Matthew put himself in such a small part? And the answer is because Matthew understood that the story wasn't about him, that the story was about Jesus. Matthew understood that life was not about him. Life was about Jesus. So often we go day to day thinking that the main story is our story and that Jesus is an add-on to our lives to make our lives a little bit better. And Matthew says, if that's the way you're thinking, you have the exact opposite. Because what is true is that we are the add-on to Jesus' story. Jesus invites us to the story of all stories, to the story of God himself. And he invites you on, and life is not about you. It's about Jesus. And he he starts his story uh, in a tax booth, which tells us a couple of things about Matthew. It tells us that Matthew has already sold his soul, and he has done it in a very easy way to see. And this is what I mean. The Roman government occupied Palestine, and they would employ Jews to be tax collectors to the Jewish community. For an obvious reason, a, a Jew in the Jewish community would know who had the most money to give, who was hiding, who was withholding, and who owed money. Right? And so Matthew, when you became a tax collector in the ancient world for the Roman government, you became a pariah you became uh, a lost cause. And you would do it. The only reason you'd be a tax collector is so, for the money that you would make, which made it even worse. So people looked at Matthew, and they knew Matthew was going to hell, and most people couldn't wait for Matthew to get there. And then Jesus walks by, and this is what happens. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose 
and followed him. Jesus calls out to Matthew, follow me, follow me. That's the call. What does it mean to be called by Jesus? Every, if you are a true Christian, you have been called by Jesus. And what happens in the call is that there comes a time in everyone who becomes a true Christian where it's like a light goes on and you finally understand something you might have thought you understood before, but now you see Jesus in a whole new way. I mean, think of, of Matthew looking down and, and then kind of being, being shocked out of his fog by Jesus calling him by name. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to at this church and how many stories I've read of people who've become members of this church who have said, you know, I spent my life thinking I was a Christian and then I realized I wasn't. And I finally understand who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. That's a call. In uh, the book of Colossians, uh, Paul writes this. He says, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Do you hear what Paul says? Paul says the day you understood the grace of God of God in truth. He doesn't say the day of your confirmation or the day of your first communion or the day you joined a church. He says the day you understood grace, the day you understood the truth of the gospel. Every Christian, the Bible says, is called. But there's another part of that call. It's not just understanding that Jesus has called your name and it's a relationship with Jesus that changes you. But Matthew responded to the call. It says that simply that Matthew got up and followed Jesus. And so that's the second aspect of the call. I have friends who are doctors who are on call uh, every other weekend. Uh, There are you know, different occupations. You may be in one where you are on call. If you're on call, it means you do not have control over your schedule, over your time, over your life, right? If, if you're not on call, you have control over your schedule. You can go out of town if you want to go out of town. You can go watch a movie if you want to go see a movie. But if you are on call and you go to see a movie, you have to be ready to leave at a moment's notice at the very best part of the movie, and you have to do it without hesitation because you have given the authority over to someone else, the authority over your schedule, over your time, over your life. You know, Matthew, when he responded to the call of Jesus, was giving Jesus authority over his life. The Bible says every Christian, if you are a Christian, you have received a call. In that Jesus has called you and you understand who Jesus is and what he has done, but you also have responded. One of the ways that you know you are a Christian, you, you have this growing understanding that Jesus has to be the center, that Jesus has to be the most important thing, that you have given over authority to Jesus of your time, of your schedule, of your life. That's the call. But the call becomes a little bit easier when you understand the touch. So let me cover that. Verse, uh, the next two verses, verse 10 and 11, it says this, as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, 
Many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know, the Pharisees are the religious uh, leaders of the time. And it's easy to see them in a negative light. And that's understandable because it seems like every time Jesus did anything, they were the ones who got the most confused and the most angry. But here, uh, they actually have something right. You know, they're looking at Jesus in the middle of tax collectors and sinners. You know, have you ever heard the saying that bad company corrupts good morals? You ever heard that? Bad company corrupts good morals. It's actually a Bible verse. It's in 1 Corinthians. What it means is you are influenced by the people that you hang out with. This is why we, uh, as parents, want our kids to have good friends because we know that their friends will influence them. There's actually been some research that indicates that you are probably the moral average of your five closest friends. Isn't that something? You're probably the moral average of your five closest friends. So the Pharisees are standing outside and they're looking in and they're looking at Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and whoever hangs out with tax collectors. You know, Matthew calls his closest friends simply sinners. We don't even know what that means. We don't know if they were, you know, drug dealers and porn stars. Whatever it is, it was a rabble, right? And, and they're hanging around Jesus and it's like Jesus is around people who have this, this terrible, you know, spiritual strain of flu, They have this uh, terribly contagious spiritual disease, and the Pharisees are keeping their distance because they don't want to be contaminated. And they tell Jesus, or they ask his followers, they say, what is he doing? And Jesus hears them, and he says, yeah, you understand part of it. You're right. These people here are sick. They are sick as dogs. But what you don't understand is who I am and what I am because I am the physician, I am the doctor. And where else should I be? Where else would I be? Right? And one of the things that the the Pharisees got right was that there would be something in that exchange where it would impact Jesus. I I told you that this is right in the middle of a bunch of stories, and the first story in chapter 8 is the story of a man who had leprosy. And this is the story. It just takes three verses. It says, When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. It says that Jesus touched the leper. No one touched lepers. Nothing good could happen from touching a leper. Because throughout history, what would happen when the healthy touched the infected, that meant the healthy became infected. Throughout history, whenever the clean would touch the unclean, the clean would become unclean. And yet Jesus reaches out and touches the leper, and the leper becomes clean. Jesus stands right in the middle of tax collectors and sinners. And he does it, and by doing that, he's saying this. I can touch you, and I can make you clean. Anyone I come in relationship with, I can make clean. No matter how defiled you feel you are, no matter how dirty, no matter how 
stained no matter how guilty, no matter how ashamed you are from what you've done. Jesus says, I can make you clean. I can make you clean. You are not a true Christian unless you have been touched by Jesus and he has made you clean. Jesus says at the end of this passage that I read, verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, what Jesus is saying when he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, sacrifice was the whole religious system, his way of trying to do everything right. What that means is if you're coming to church because you are trying to do everything right, if you are giving your money, if you are volunteering, and in doing all the right things, you are trying to cleanse yourself, you don't get it. Because the only way you can really be clean, according to the Bible, is if Jesus touches you. But what the Pharisees had right was that it was going to cost Jesus something. Because when Jesus makes you clean, he gives you his cleanliness, his righteousness, and he takes your guilt and your sin on himself. And that's the great exchange. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, if you are a true Christian, you have been called. You recognize that Jesus has come for you, and you have responded by following him. If you are a true Christian, it means you have experienced the touch of Jesus, and if you are clean, you are clean only because Jesus has touched you. And then finally, that brings me to the change. The change. One of the, uh, the issues I have uh, with the Bible is the Bible never gives us enough information, I don't think. Well, I shouldn't say that. The Bible gives us everything that God wants us to have. But these stories, there's so many questions I have about the stories, and there are gaps in the stories, and I would love to know what happened. Like between verses 9 and 10, there's a gap. Verse 9 is the call of Matthew, that Jesus walks by the tax booth and says to Matthew, Matthew, follow me. And as far as we can tell, Matthew drops his pen on his ledger book, turns to his supervisor, says, I quit, and walks out and follows Jesus. Right? And then verse 10, it says this, And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. That has all the markings of a party. Right? There's this big party. It's a dinner party, but in the Middle East, in the ancient Middle East, a dinner party was a, a huge deal. Uh, it was uh, something that would last for a long time. I, I once went to uh, a real Italian restaurant with a couple of real Italians, and they told me, they warned me going in, they said, uh, Joe, this isn't going to be like a dinner. This is an event. Right? Because Italians believe that food is what brings people together, and food is what holds people together, and we are going to hold you most of the evening. Right? Because this is what Italians do. That's the way it was in the Middle East. Right? So it was a, this huge party. And what it looks like from the outside is that nothing has changed. Here's Matthew, the ex-tax collector. 
And he's with the same friends he's always had, and they're doing what they have done a hundred times before. They're having a party, so from a distance, it looks like nothing has changed. But as you get closer, you realize that everything has changed. And the thing that has changed everything is that Jesus is right there in the midst of the party. And what do you think Matthew was talking about? How do you think Matthew talked about Jesus to his friends who were other tax collectors and sinners? In John chapter 4, Jesus uh, connects with a woman called the Samaritan woman by a well outside of a little town called Sychar. And when he's talking to this woman, at one point Jesus says to the woman, go call your husband. And this woman says, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you have rightly said you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man you're living with is not your husband. Later on, she goes running back to the village of Sychar. And what Scripture says is that what she told everybody is she said, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. You know what she was saying? She was saying, come see a man who knows what you know about me. But instead of rejecting me, he has loved me, he has forgiven me. Could it be that Jesus is who you're looking for too? And scripture says the whole village came out to see Jesus. Matthew gets called by Jesus, he gets touched by Jesus. And the thing that makes sense to him is to gather all of his friends and say to them, listen, you know me. You know what I've been like. This Jesus, he knows everything you know about me. But instead of rejecting me, he has loved me and he has forgiven me. Last weekend, our speaker was Sanj Kalra. And I told you that Sanj came to Jesus here in Hudson at this church. And I was talking to somebody who uh, uh, was a friend of Sanj, who actually has come to, into a relationship with Jesus because of Sanj and now is a member of our church. And when I was talking to him, he said, uh, you know, before Sanj was a Christian, at his house he would throw these big parties. And his house had a cupola on the top, which is like a dome. And he said whenever the light was on, it meant that there was a party at Sanj's house. And he said, and I used to go to some of those parties, and they were wild parties. And then after Sanj began to follow Jesus, he would uh, have Bible studies at his house. And whenever he had a Bible study at his house, the light on the cupola would be on. And I went to some of those Bible studies, and that's where I came to know Jesus. What struck me is that from the outside, if you were walking by Sanj's house, it would look from the outside like nothing had changed in Sanj's life. Right? It would look like uh, you know, the same cars would be lined up. There would be people in the house. The light was on in the cupola. But if you got inside, you would realize that everything had changed. Everything had changed. Because Sanj was telling those people, you know me. You know what I've been like. You know what my life is like. Jesus knows me. And instead of rejecting me, he has loved me and forgiven me. Could it be, could it be that Jesus is who you are looking for too? And people said, yes, that's who I'm looking for. This is what I'm telling you. 
If you are a Christian, that means you have heard the call of Jesus. That you realize that it's not a religion, it's not a church, it's Jesus who calls your name. If you are a Christian, you have experienced the touch of Jesus. That the way you become clean is not from trying to do all the right things, but it's simply because Jesus has come in relationship with you, has taken your guilt on himself and given you his righteousness. And so if you are a Christian, you can go to friends who know you best and say, you know me. You know everything about me. You know the good and the bad. Jesus knows everything that you know about me. Instead of rejecting me, he has loved me and forgiven me. Could it be that Jesus is who you're looking for to? The call, the touch, the change are true of you if you are a Christian. And if you've experienced the call, the touch, and the change, it means that you have everything, everything you need to make Jesus famous. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, come to you, and we are so grateful that you have loved us so much that you sent us Jesus. Uh, thank you that Jesus calls us by name. I pray that if, if there are people here right now that have never really understood what it means to experience the call and the touch, I pray that they will even today. They will hear, hear Jesus say, follow me, and they will believe that Jesus, through a relationship, can actually cleanse them and make them whole. Thank you for loving us even though you know us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thanks for your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.